All right, good morning, Central. Great to see you this morning. If you're watching us online this morning, uh, whether that's our, our website or our Facebook Live page, we're glad you're joining us. If you're in the overflow in Oakwood Chapel this morning, thank you for being here or out in the concourse, wherever you are, on couches, on chairs. We're just great to have you this morning. And all of you that are here in the worship center, welcome, welcome, welcome. And we are back to school, right? We're back in school. And, and so every year at the beginning of school, we take a moment and we both appreciate and honor and pray for those in education. So if you are a teacher, a coach, if you are a campus worker, administrator, whatever you are, if you serve on a campus, would you stand up? We want to thank you and pray for you this morning. Stay standing, please. Yeah. So increasingly, our school campuses are becoming less safe uh, less safe physically, less safe mentally in many cases. And so we value you. Uh, the Lord values you. He appreciates you. He appreciates the investment that you're making in young people. And we want to pray for you this morning for strength and patience and wisdom and grace and protection. We want to pray God's protection over your campus against violence and death and those kinds of destructive things the enemy would love to bring. So would you pray with us this morning, church? And Lord, for those standing this morning, we, we thank you for them. We, you value them. They are, they are making a huge investment into the lives of those in the next generation. So Lord, let their, let their Christian witness be strong on these campuses. Let their, let their uh, ability to share Christ, whether it's with words or by actions, let it be influential. And Lord, we just pray that you'd give them patience and strength. Uh, education is a tough field to be in today. Lord, we pray your grace upon them. We pray protection over them, protection physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And God, we pray for these, every campus in our city, every campus represented by someone standing this morning, that you would put your angels around that campus and keep them from destruction, keep them from death, keep them from harm and violence, Lord, in your mercy. God, we just pray this would be a successful school year and that, that hundreds and hundreds of students through the influence of these standing would come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior this year. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Thank you. Thank you for your hard labor in the Lord. We appreciate you. All right, we are continuing our series called Extraordinary. It's a study in the Sermon on the Mount, which covers Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. If you have a Bible this morning, please open to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, when I started the series, I said that the Sermon on the Mount is sort of like a picture that Jesus paints for us, and it's a picture of what a true disciple or follower of Jesus looks like. More than that, it's a picture of extraordinary character, the character of Christ. And so as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, we finish the Beatitudes today and keep pressing into that, we're going we're gonna to have this picture that Jesus paints for us of, of what we are to emulate, what we're to be like a true follower of Jesus, reflecting the character of Christ. And Jerzy Oshevsky has been kind enough each week to take the beatitude that we're covering and to put it into a little painting. Uh, and this is the last week in the beatitudes. So we're going to bring that to completion. Matthew chapter 5, we're only going to be reading verses 10, 11, and 12. 10, 11, and 12. Read this, follow this with me this morning. God blesses those, or blessed are those, who are persecuted for doing right or for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God blesses you when people mock you, persecute you, and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Lord, let the Holy Spirit uh, bless the teaching of the word this morning. Give us understanding in Christ's name. 
Amen. So as usual, we're just going to look at one beatitude this morning, and it's, it's verse 10, and it says this, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the only beatitude. There's eight beatitudes. The first seven have to do with our character. This one doesn't have to do with our character. This one has to do with what could happen to us if we walk in the character of Christ, and that is persecution. Uh, we could be uh, oppressed and harassed as a result of, of walking in this world according to the character of Christ. It's really an uncomfortable thing to be forced to share our opinion about something, knowing that that opinion is going to be rejected and condemned. I, I was in, in college going back to my high school and visiting some, some old teachers of mine. And one of them that I, was, that I was pretty close with, and we were talking, and I had, my freshman year of college, recommitted my life to Christ, and I, I was pretty on fire for God at that point in my life. And so we were talking about that, my, my kind of recommitment and the changes in my life, and talking about spiritual things. And then the conversation kind of drifted to the topic of, of sex before marriage. And, and he, he said to me, Jeff, you're telling me that, that if I'm in a relationship with someone that I deeply love and care about and am, and am committed to, but we have sex before marriage, that that's sin. And everything in me wanted to say, you know what, like, if you love each other and you're committed to each other, that's good. Like, that's probably okay. But I, I knew what God's truth said. And God didn't say that. And so I'm like anxious and nervous and trying to get this to come out of my mouth. And I just said, no, it's, it's sin. In fact, God says that, that sex is only appropriate in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. That wasn't the popular answer. That wasn't the answer that he was hoping for. But the reality is that the Christian answer is never the popular answer in culture. It's never the one that people really want to hear. And today we're finding that our culture is forcing us to share our opinion, to share our opinion about certain topics knowing that it's going to be rejected and knowing that it's going to be condemned before we share it. They're asking us questions. They're expecting answers like, do you support same-sex marriage? Do you, do you support gender transition? Do you support a, a male transgender competing against women in sports? Do you support a woman's right to terminate her pregnancy? Is there really a heaven and hell? Do you, do you believe that? And if you believe that, do you believe that, that you have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven? Do good people go to hell? See, see, we're being forced to answer those questions in our culture. And, and your response to those questions could result in social suffering and consequences. It's called persecution. Are, are you ready for it? See, persecution is defined as the act of harassing, oppressing, or killing people because of their difference from society. There are consequences for believing differently than our culture. There are consequences for having a different philosophy of life 
or worldview than, than our culture. And Jesus said, if we follow him, and what he means by that, he says, you know, persecuted for the sake of righteousness. If, if we follow him, if we try to live godly lives, if we try to live good moral lives that, that reflect Christ's character and nature, and we follow the teachings of Jesus, there's a pretty good chance we're going to be persecuted in this life. It just comes with it. Thus, the eighth beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. We can expect it. Why? Because all through human history, God's people have been persecuted. Beginning with the very first family in the Bible, the very first family in humanity, Adam and Eve. And they had two sons, Cain and Abel. The Bible says that Cain murdered Abel, his older brother, because Abel was righteous before God. That's called persecution. Daniel, in Babylonian captivity, a Jewish young man, refused to submit to King Darius's decree that for 30 days, if anybody prayed to a person or to any other god except the king, they would be thrown into the lion's den. Daniel knew that that decree violated his understanding of biblical truth. Daniel refused to submit to that expectation, that decree by the king. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. How many of you know that's persecution? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, young Jewish boys in Babylonian captivity, had been raised into leadership. And they refused to submit to King Nebuchadnezzar's command that, that when the music played in the, in the empire, everyone had to bow down and worship a golden statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. These Jewish youths knew that transgressed their biblical beliefs, that you're only to worship God and no other idol. They refused to bow down when the music played to this golden statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. How many of you know that's persecution? And persecution has continued throughout history to the present day. The first century Christians were persecuted initially by the Jewish leaders. Christianity came out of Judaism, the Jewish faith. I don't know if you knew that or not. It came out of Judaism. It became its own independent religion, if you will, or sect in the Roman Empire. And the Jews persecuted the Christians more heavily than anyone else initially. But that transitioned into persecution from the Roman government, government and the emperors in Rome. And so what we're seeing in the, in the mid to late first century is this, this incredibly cruel persecution from emperors like Nero and Trajan and Domitian and Hadrian, unleashing severe persecution on the church. So I want to talk for a few minutes about, about why the Christians in Rome were persecuted. What were they doing or not doing that brought the wrath of the Roman government on them and this persecution? And I think you're going to see some significant parallels between the culture that we live in and the culture of first century Rome. And so I, I don't think persecution for the church of Christ in America is too far away. So why were they persecuted? Number one, they became a political threat. The Christians became a political threat to the empire. There was something in Rome called the genius of the emperor. The genius of the emperor. 
or emperor worship. And then it was, it was pretty common for when an emperor would die that they would grant that emperor what was called divine status. They were recognized as a god and they were, they, they were you know, worshipped in a sense for who they were and what they had done. There, there were some emperors in Rome that didn't want to wait until they, <laughs> until they died to get that status. They, they wanted to be worshipped in their life. So Domitian began to call himself God the Lord and expected the people of the, the empire to uh, credit him with his lordship, to offer incense in the public square and, and to give sacrifices to, to this deity. He coined a phrase, Caesar Curios, which means Caesar is Lord, and he expected to be greeted that way. Well, the Christians knew of only one Lord, and that was Jesus Christ. So as you read through the New Testament, you see that phrase, Jesus is Lord, occurring over and over. Sometimes I think it was a, it was a response to this desire of Roman emperors to be worshipped and to be confessed as Lord. So Paul, in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, says, um, it, it, you, you, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. No one can confess the Lordship of Christ, but that phrase, Jesus is Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. So this confession of the Lordship of Christ over my life. So the Christians are in this this empire where the, the leader is saying that he is Lord and he expects them to confess him as the Lord. Uh, Caesar is Lord. And Christians refused to do that. They held to their allegiance to Christ alone. They, they resisted the ungodly commands and expectations of their government. And many Christians died. And most Christians were persecuted because they resisted the ungodly mandates of their government. They became a political threat. They also became a religious threat. Christians in Rome became a religious threat. Rome was a, was a polytheistic nation. Polytheistic means they believed in a multitude of gods. Remember, the Roman Empire had conquered the Greek Empire, and so all of the, the Greek culture, the Hellenistic culture, influenced the, the Roman government. And so with, with all of the Greek gods, and you know, we called it Greek mythology, in fact, when Sherlene and I toured Italy this summer, we saw several temples or shrines that were constructed for Zeus and for Apollo. I think we have a picture of one of those coming up here. Here we go. So, so this, this belief in, in, in multiple gods. And so because the Roman Empire was the largest empire in the world at that time, people were moving from other countries to come and relocate to, to the Roman Empire, and they would bring their gods and their form of worship with them. And the Roman Empire embraced it with open arms. The, the Roman Empire did not care if there was a multitude of gods. They didn't care how many gods there were. They just wanted you to embrace and accept all of them. Not, not just one. 
Not to, not to worship one God at the exclusion of all of the other gods. You had to be open and tolerant and accepting of all of the other gods. Christianity is monotheistic. It's not polytheistic. We believe in one God. Deuteronomy 6, the Lord our God is one. And so in the New Testament, you see Paul, Paul making statements like these, these so-called gods, these idols. He said they're, they're really not gods. He says, in fact, they're one of two things. They're either demons or they're dead idols, wooden stone that have no life. There's only one God, and that's what the Christians believed. And so they began to resist these uh, expectations that they would embrace and welcome every religion and say that, you know, basically there's, there's all kinds of ways to get to heaven. And Christians said, no, we will, we will not submit to ungodly philosophies in our culture. And many were killed and most were persecuted and suffered. They lost their homes, they lost their property, they lost their family, some sold into slavery because they refused to embrace the, the ungodly philosophy of their culture. So they became a threat, a political threat, they became a religious threat, and they became a social threat to the Roman government. Se sexual perversion was rampant in the Roman Empire. A slave in the Roman Empire had absolutely no rights, they were a possession. Slave owners could do anything they wanted sexually with any of their slaves, regardless of gender or age. They were protected legally. Drunkenness, orgies, common. But they also, they also tied sexual immorality into their, into their worship. And then they would have prostitutes at their shrines and temples that, that you were to engage with in order to appease the gods of fertility and prosperity so that God blessed the country, so that God blessed the agriculture, so that God blessed the livestock. There was this sexual deviation that, that if you participated that way, then these gods would be appeased and they would bless us economically. Well, there was also an economic issue with Christians because they, didn't, they wouldn't purchase statues or idols or, or images or amulets. They, they rejected any idols. And so the Roman government saw this as a major problem. They're, they're resisting us economically. They're resisting our gods. They're not part participating in immorality. And so the, the Roman government and the emperors began to blame Christians for natural disasters earthquakes, storms, things that, that wreaked havoc on the country. They said the Christians are, are displeasing to the gods and therefore the gods are judging us. Case in point, in, in Antioch of Syria, uh, there was a devastating earthquake that destroyed the whole city and they blamed the Christians there and they brought Ignatius, the bishop of Antioch, they marched him to Rome, three months it took to walk to Rome from Antioch. And they took him to the Colosseum and put him on the floor and, and threatened to release wild animals to devour him if he didn't recant his faith in Jesus Christ. All you have to do is say, Jesus Christ is not Lord. All you have to do is say, I don't believe in Jesus Christ, and we'll set you free. And they did. Anyone that recanted their faith was set free. And Ignatius said, I, I, I will not deny the one who has saved me. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to be in his presence enjoying him and everything that he's promised to me. And in a little while, you're going to die and you're going to be judged by that very Christ that I serve. That's not the answer they wanted. 
they released the hounds, the beasts who devoured him before 50 or 60,000 people as he stood for Christ. Because the, the Christians of that day refused to give in to the pressures of ungodliness in their culture, in whatever area, sexually, economically, whatever it was, they refused to compromise who they were in a very ungodly culture. And many lost their lives. And most were persecuted as a result. And I don't think we are that far away. So as I've wrestled with this during the week, this issue that we're, we're pretty comfortable, aren't we? Like, do you feel major persecution like they did in the first century? I, I really don't. And part of that is because our, our, our nation, America, was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. And so it was foundational and normal to live according to biblical truth. Our, our justice system was founded on the Jewish law. So we grew up with that, and that was normal, but it's not normal anymore. And all of that's being pushed out for a different philosophy, much like the philosophy of the Roman Empire. And so while we never seek or pursue persecution, we're never told to do that. Jesus said, don't, don't try to find persecution. If you follow me, persecution will find you. If you live the life that I'm calling you to live, persecution's not, not far behind. So I had to ask myself, why aren't we being persecuted more? Why, why are we not being threatened more? Why are we not being harassed more and, and oppressed more? And, I want to ask you three questions this morning. I want you to consider these three questions during the week. Here they are. The first is this. Am I compromising the gospel of Jesus Christ? Am I compromising the message of Jesus? Here's what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, say no one. Not one person comes to the Father or gets to heaven except through who? Jesus. That's what Jesus said. It's, it's an exclusive brand of religion. One person, one way. Here's what Paul said. Salvation, the forgiveness of sin and eternal life, is found in no one else, and that reference is to Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved except Jesus Christ. There's one way, as loving as we want to be, as accepting as we want to be, as gracious as we want to be, the gospel is exclusive to salvation through Jesus Christ. Paul goes on in 1 Timothy 2, says, there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Are we sharing a message that people are in sin and can't fix the problem? Are we sharing a message with the world that everyone is in sin and that the only means of forgiveness is through the cross of Jesus Christ and putting your trust and faith in him? The only way you can, you can have a relationship with God is by trusting Jesus. Are we communicating that or are we compromising the message? Are we going along with the cultural understanding and philosophy that there's a lot of ways to get to heaven, a lot of ways to know God, just find your way. Just find what's good for you, what fits you. No. The Christians of the first century said, Jesus Christ alone is Lord. Jesus Christ alone can save. He is your only hope. We're all desperate sinners in need of grace, and Christ is the only source of grace. Are we compromising the truth of the gospel? Are we compromising our witness for Jesus? Are we compromising our witness for Jesus? Here's what Jesus said. 
If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Now let's look at that statement. If you belong to the world, the world will love you. I have to ask myself the question, if the world loves me, am I living like I belong to the world? Is there no distinction between my life and the life of the ungodly, unsaved person that doesn't know Jesus? Is there any distinction? Can you tell the difference? As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they don't, they don't know the one who sent me. See, we, we are called to give witness to Jesus by what we say and how we live. Our lives are actually supposed to convict people around us that aren't following God. Our lives of purity, moral purity, and our lives of holiness are supposed to convict people that are not walking in moral purity. They're supposed to see our lives and realize that, that they should be walking that way, and they're not, and it ought to make them feel like something's wrong in their life. Would you this week be honest with God? Would you go before the Lord and ask him some questions and, and honestly listen to his response as it, as it pertains to your witness for Jesus in the world? Here's one. Lord, do you want me to drink alcohol? Now, biblically, you, you have license to drink alcohol. You can't get drunk. You can have a beer or a glass of wine. That, I went to the Lord and I asked that question. For me, it was no. I don't know, but, but have you ever asked the Lord that question? As it pertains to your witness for Jesus Christ, does the Lord want me consuming alcohol? If he says yes, great. If he says no, then follow him and obey him. Does the Lord want me, Lord, do you want me dressing the way that I do? Does it fulfill your command to be modest? Am I modest in my dress? Is it honoring you? Is the way I dress an honor to you? And if he tells you yes, then say thank you, Lord. If he tells you no, then change. As it pertains to your witness for Christ and those around you. Lord, do you want me spending my money, our money, the way I do? Are you pleased with me buying this? Are you pleased with me buying that? Or is, is there a different pathway of stewardship and managing my resources that, that you want me to do as it pertains to my witness for Christ? Do, do you want me to be more generous? Do, do you want me to live less, uh, uh, you know, um, lavishly, it's more simple? Do I need to change the way I spend money to honor you and to glorify you with my witness? How about this, Lord? Do you want me to watch this cable TV series? Is this glorifying to you? Does this honor you in, in my life? Shirlene and I, we, we get recommendations about, about shows, you know, on Netflix and stuff, and we'll start watching them, and we'll just go, ooh, whoa, this is like soft porn. What, what are we doing? I'm not, I'm not real comfortable with Jesus sitting here, like, like watching this with us, so we have to stop and just say no, or, or the language just gets so horrific that we just have to say, no, th this isn't for us. 
As it pertains to your relationship with Jesus, as you ask him questions, Lord, what do you think about this? Please listen this week and do what God asks you to do. No matter what you think it costs because you're Your mission is to glorify Christ. Your mission is to be different than the world. Your mission is to be separate from the world and to make his name great. The last one is, am I compromising my beliefs? Am I compromising my beliefs? Again, this was an issue in first century Rome. Here's what Paul says. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, Paul tells Timothy, you'll know how Christians should, should behave in the church, which is God's house. The, the pillar, uh, I'm sorry, the, the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. The church, Christians, we are, we are pillars that support the truth of God. Now, in the first century and beyond, pillars in temples and pillars in, in civic buildings often had inscriptions written on them to say what kind of building it was. There there would be inscriptions that that went on the pillar. And he says, you are a pillar in support of God's truth. You have inscribed on your life through the way you live and what you say, the truth of who God is. You go into culture like a pillar upholding the truth of his word. Are you compromising your belief? Are you holding to the truth of God in a culture that's going against it? Man, you're walking around, you should be walking around with the inscription of New Testament truth all over your life so people can see it. This is what we believe as the church of Jesus Christ. One of these quotes, I have a couple quotes here. Look, Look at one of these quotes. Were there no church, there would be no witness, no guardian of archives, no basis, nothing whereon acknowledged truth could rest, but it's supposed to rest on your life. Another quote, Albert Barnes. Thus it is with the church. It is entrusted with the business of maintaining the truth, of defending it from the assaults of error, and of transmitting it to future times. The truth is, in fact, upheld in the world by the church. The people of the world feel no interest in defending it, and it is to the church of Christ that the the world owes that the truth is preserved and transmitted from age to age on you and on me. We are pillars of truth. We pass it on to the next generation. We communicate it to the generation that we live in. Are you a pillar with a written inscription for everybody to read? This is what we believe. Now, here's the challenge. I'm going to close with this really quickly. People ask me, well, Jeff, how do I, how do, I do that in a loving way? How do I do that in a way that's not, you know, mean-spirited or, or um, just getting in an argument? Or how do, I, how do I communicate truth without, you know, or, or love people but don't condone what they're doing, right? So let me give you three quick suggestions. Number one, and it's all taken from 1 Peter 3, 14 to 16. Write that scripture down and read it. Number one, don't impose your beliefs on people, but be ready to explain them. I did not impose my beliefs on that teacher, my high school teacher. He asked me the question, and I told him what I thought. I wasn't there saying, hey, are you even thinking about having sex with your girlfriend? Let me tell you, it's wrong. I didn't go hunting it down, but I was ready to give an answer. Peter says, be be ready to give a response to the hope that's within you, but do it gently and with respect. Number two, be respectful. Don't demean their beliefs, but praise God's truth. 
So share with them in a respectful way. You know, I, I get why you would believe that. I, I, get where, I get where you're coming from. I understand. Let me share with you what Scripture says. Let me share with you God's heart. Let me share with you what, what I believe is a better way and a life-giving way. Let me, let me just share with you how I live. You can do with it what you want, but do it in a loving and respectful way. When you're asked, don't impose it on people. Do it respectfully. Don't put them down for what they believe, but exalt the truth of God. Amen? Magnify his truth because it's good and it's life-giving. Number three, stay committed to the relationship even though they might reject you. They might not want, want anything to do with you. That's okay, but th their heart could change down the road. Keep that bridge open of relationship because if they come back to you, you want to be able to, to share God's heart and truth with them if God does change their heart. Would you stand with me this morning? We don't seek persecution. It will seek you. Please ask yourself those three questions this week. Am I compromising the gospel? Am I compromising my witness? Am I compromising what I believe? Or am I a pillar placed here by God in the world to declare the truth of Scripture to people? Let's pray. Lord, this morning I pray that you would help us to be strong in this age, to be filled with the love of Jesus, to be filled with the grace of Jesus, but to be filled with the courage of Jesus that when he was asked those difficult questions, he never compromised. And Lord, that we would be the kind of people that, that love people but stand firm on truth. Help us to have that, that wise balance. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Just real quickly this morning, as you leave, if you need prayer for anything, we're going to have some folks up here to pray with you. Please come down for prayer. Second thing is, if you're a college student, we've got food for you. <clears throat> we've got all kinds of stuff for you. If you go through these doors to our central perk, our, our coffee cafe, there's all kinds of stuff waiting for you. Head there, get acquainted. God bless you. Have a great day.